0: Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jamie, and. Uh, <laughs> I am one of the pastors, a privilege of mine to be one of the pastors here. Um, today is a special Sunday, as has already been mentioned. It is Kids in Service Sunday, so um, the nursery is open. So if you have a little one, um, preschooler, they're welcome all the way to the back there. There's nursery workers back there that you can take them back there. Uh, that room behind the, the the gathering space back there is, is for nursing mothers. So if you have a little one that you would like some privacy to nurse or take care of your little one, uh, that is open now. It is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 63. Psalms, chapter 63, if you don't have a Bible, there is one provided for you under the chair in front of you, and you will find our reading today on page 479 of the church Bible, If you're new to the Bible, the chapter numbers are the big numbers, and the verse numbers are the little numbers. And as we always say, if you don't have a Bible at home, go ahead and just steal one of ours. Uh, It is this congregation's gift to you. So I would like to say a welcome to Cornerstone Kids and to our Pebbles class. Um, I'm glad that it is the fifth Sunday of the month and that you can be with us. Um, the reason that we do this, by the way, is so that uh, our little ones can sit with us and they can learn how to actively listen to the preaching of God's Word in a Sunday morning context. And so, um, Cornerstone Kids and Pebbles, sit with your parents, look at your parents, watch how they're listening to, to the Bible. And um, he- here's what I want to ask you to do, you little ones. Um, I want you to be listening carefully from this psalm about who God is and what God has done. That's the thing I need you to be listening for. Who is God and what did God do? Okay, so that's the big thing you need to be listening for. And if you have questions about that, ask your parents on the way home. Before we read, I do have to say uh, thank you to my brother pastors for serving us so well the last few weeks and giving me a three-week break. I very much appreciate that. It is a, a just a, a great, uh, a wonderful thing to be able to sit next to my wife under the preaching of God's Word. It's such a privilege. I'm so thankful for that. I also would like to thank the membership of this church for allowing me to be one of your pastors. Um, you show me the greatest kindness when you gather here on the Lord's day every morning and allow me to open the Bible up and to teach it to you. And so Paul told the Thessalonians that you are my glory and my crown and my joy, and I just know exactly what that is. So I love you. Thank you so much for that privilege. Psalm chapter 63. Here's what we'll do. I'll read the, the whole Psalm at once, I'll ask for the Lord's help on our time together and on our little ones, and then uh, we'll get to work in this passage. I'll spend about 40 minutes or so working through it verse by verse, and uh, then we'll dismiss. This is the word of the Lord, a psalm of David when he's in the wilderness of Judah. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy my soul clings to you your right hand upholds me but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth They shall be given over to the power of the sword, for they shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouth of liars will be stopped. Will you pray with me? You have the words of eternal life. Words that we need more than we need food and air in our lungs. Holy Spirit, will you come now and feed us? Take words of Jesus and declare it to us. Father, will you shine the light of your glory on the face of your Son, that we might see him, believe in him, treasure him, and rejoice in him. Be with the little ones here. Give them a settledness, a quietness, a readiness to receive. Give us minds that are attentive and not easily distracted. For Jesus' sake we ask. Amen. Well, I'll remind you of something I reminded you of a few weeks ago. The Psalms are songs. And this is a song about a king on the run. Deposed of his throne and banished to the wilderness, he cries out to his God. Last year, our church worked through the books of First and 2 Samuel, two books of the Bible which tell the story of King David, of his divinely directed and yet very difficult ascent to the throne, his banishment from that throne, and then subsequent return to that throne, and many of you will remember that the king, the reign of King David, was filled with trouble and affliction. Much of it due to David's own sin. The times, uh, times of reading the Book of First and Second Samuel, were sometimes difficult. And this is because the Bible is honest, and the Bible is raw. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. It tells us the unfiltered truth. All of the heroes in the Bible are sinful, flawed men and women. All of them save one. David is a towering figure in the Bible, and even David was a deeply flawed man. And his story was filled with trouble, much of which was his own making. The superscript in Psalm 63 tells us that this is a psalm that David wrote while he was in the wilderness of Judah. David was a fugitive hiding in the Judean wilderness twice in his lifetime. The first time was before he was the king of united Israel. And the second time was when he was being chased there from Jerusalem by his own son, a man named Absalom, who had stolen the throne from him. And this, was, this is, so in verse 11, we see the, the psalmist calls himself king. And so for this reason, we can be relatively sure that this is the time in the Judean wilderness when he penned Psalm 63. And so, a quick reminder of this event in the life of David may help us to better appreciate the background of this psalm and and understand its impact. King David was a man after God's own heart, and he was a lousy father. One of David's sons raped his sister, and David did nothing about it. He did nothing for his poor daughter. He did nothing for his son. And because David did nothing, David's other son did something. Absalom murdered his rapist half-brother and fled the kingdom. And for years, David continued to do nothing, neglecting to reconcile with Absalom and neglecting to set his family in order. Eventually, King David had to be persuaded to let Absalom back in Jerusalem, but even then, David refused to reconcile. The Bible says that Absalom was a winsome man, a handsome man, with hair like Jason Momoa. And since Absalom's father gave him no love, he sought love from the people and he got it. Absalom wooed the hearts of the people away from his father and led a rebellion against his father. David, rather than defending his city from his own son, fled into the wilderness. And it's likely at that time when he penned the words we see before us. Here's the big idea best as I can tell. When your soul is dry and weary, seek the Lord and you will be satisfied. When your soul is dry and weary, seek the Lord and you will be satisfied. Most of the Psalms start out with a conflict and then end in a resolution in God. And this Psalm is no different. The conflict appears in verse one where we see David's soul is weary And the resolve comes then in verses 2 to 8, where he finds satisfaction and peace in God. And the psalm ends finally in verses 9 to 11, as the psalmist rests in the promises of God's deliverance of his life. And so, these three things will serve as our outline this morning. Let's have a look at verse 1 again. There we read, "'O God, You are my God.'" earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. A thirsty soul in a waterless world. I don't know about you, but if I'm being honest, I share something in common with King David. I'm not a king on the run in the Judean wilderness. None of my children have killed one another. But the vast majority of my problems are of my own making. Many of them are due to my own sin, my own neglect. You may be different, but I don't think you are. (laughs) It is a human condition. David is in the wilderness because David didn't do what David was supposed to do. The throne of Israel, which God had given to him, had been taken from him. And if that wasn't bad enough, it was taken from him by his own son. And if that wasn't bad enough, the loyalty of his own people had been stolen from him. And so we wonder how David must have felt. In the dark, lonely, cold nights in the wilderness. But we don't have to wander far. The songwriter expresses his emotions in verse 1. Notice how he begins. Oh God, you are my God. While many might turn away from the Lord in their affliction, David turned to the Lord in his affliction. The Lord was the source of his life. What else is there outside of him? There's nothing. There's darkness. There's blackness. There's nothing. And we should all take a lesson from our brother David here. In conflict, in affliction, even of our own making, turn to the Lord. Seek him and seek him earnestly. He says, earnestly do I seek you. Which means that David sought the Lord with intention. There was a longing in his soul for his God. And so what does the king do with this conflict? He earnestly seeks the Lord his God. And he explains his situation. He explains his condition. He says, my soul is thirsty. My flesh is weary. And for what? Or better, for whom? The two-word modifier, for you, in verse 1, may be the two most helpful words in this psalm, and they might be the two most difficult words to apply, because how often do we trace the source of our frustration, of our weariness, of our irritation, of our lethargy as our soul's longing For the Lord. It seems to me that we're more likely to blame our frustrations and difficulties and irritations on people and situations. And here is another reason why the Psalms are so instructive, why they're so vital to the Christian life. The Psalms teach us fluency in emotion, in the emotional life of our souls. I'm afraid some of us have the emotional vocabulary of a caveman. (laughs) Jamie angry. Jamie sad. It's like I'm the Hulk. But David knows what's going on in his heart. He feels dry. He feels weary. And his world is without water. When mankind rebelled against God, seeking to be their own God, their sin separated them from God. And their sin left mankind thirsty. And the Bible teaches that the thirst of every soul is for the Lord Himself. And every soul seeks to quench this thirst with something other than God. Friend, you need to know that the thirst of your soul can only be satisfied in God. You see, this is the reason why all the pleasures of this life are fleeting, temporary. The pursuit of happiness Without God is nothing more than that, a pursuit. It is never a fulfillment. It's a race without a finish line. This is why sex isn't enough, and money isn't enough, and power isn't enough. It's why marriage isn't enough. It's why children aren't enough. It's why a successful career isn't enough. It's because only Jesus Christ is enough. Jeremiah 2.13, the Lord tells his people that they have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of life. And two, they have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I'm afraid that we are like thirsty souls the Lord Lord draws to the fountains of living water who then fill our mouths with dry dirt and blame Him for not being enough. Friend, if you're here and you're not a Christian... I'm so glad you came to church today. This was the perfect day to come to church. God wants you to know the thirst of your soul is for Him. And that when you turn from your sin, trusting in His Son, Jesus Christ, your sins, no matter how great they are, will be forgiven Eternal life will be granted to you. You will be given a new heart with new desires and you will be satisfied in Him. Might I encourage you before you leave here today to talk to someone who looks like a regular and ask them how that you can be made right with God through Jesus Christ and find the satisfaction your soul is longing for. Do that today. Don't leave here still in your sin. So the king in Psalm 63 is being honest. He's thirsty. He's weary. And this world has nothing to offer him. And so what does he do with this longing in his heart? Where does he go to find rest for his weary soul? Well, he tells us, in verses 2 to 8, he gives us eight things. And we'll look at each eight things in quick succession. So, the first point of the sermon today is to admit that we have thirsty souls in a waterless world. And point two of the sermon is to take our thirsty soul to our satisfying God. Let's have a look at verses 2. To eight again. So eight ways to take your thirsty soul to your satisfying God. These aren't eight things to do to better your life. Some of them are repeated. It's just the things that we see the psalmist doing in the wilderness. And I pray that these eight things will be helpful to you as they've been helpful to me. So it might be true that Verse 1 resonates with you. You might be in a desert season of your life, feeling like you, your soul is thirsty in a waterless world. Maybe you're tired of the same old, same old, day in and day out, a slave to the grind, not feeling like anything matters. If that's you, I would, I would ask you to pay close attention to verses 2 to 8. Lean into these. I think they'll be helpful to you. The first we see in verse 2. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. So the first thing King David does for his thirsty soul is to look away from the source of his affliction and set his eyes on his Saviour. I wonder if the Apostle Paul had this verse in mind when he told the Colossians to set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. You know, there are Christians in this room for whom it seems they have no problems. Their God is so big that they have no problems. No afflictions, no difficulties. Of course, course that's not the case. It's just that they aren't rattled by afflictions in the way we are. Because they've been to the sanctuary with the Lord. Because they've beheld His power and His glory. Now, there are others in this room, and I put myself in this category, for whom troubles tend to occupy our thoughts. Our troubles are big, and they push our God to the periphery of our mind. We move from one crisis into the next, almost all of them of our own device. And so, if you are, like me, in the second category... I would like to say to those who are not in this category, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for taking our phone calls and talking us down. Thank you for the times when we distance ourselves from you and then blame you for being distant. Well, the first thing and the best thing to do when your soul is tired, when your flesh is tired, is to occupy your mind with the things of God. Isn't this what Paul taught us to do? Philippians 4. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Seek the Lord in your affliction. That's the that's the thing I. It's it's the most important thing I can teach you about your affliction. Seek the Lord. Crack open the Bible and read. How exactly did the psalmist go to the sanctuary and behold the power and glory of the Lord? How exactly do we? We open the Bible. And we read the power and the glory of our risen Lord. I've said it before, but some Christians view Bible reading as if it were taking supplements, sort of a, bru- a boost to get you through your week. But the true Christian knows that it's not taking vitamin supplements, it's taking an antidote. We've been snake bitten. And there is venom running through our veins that if it does not stop, it will kill us. Encountering our risen Lord in His Word is the antidote for our poisoned soul. So that's the first thing. Seek the Lord. Look for His power and His glory in His Word. second thing appears in verse 3, and that is to praise Him. The psalmist writes, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Beholding the power and glory of the Lord leads into praise. We see the power and the glory of the Lord most clearly displayed in his steadfast love for sinners. And we praise him. We read the Bible and we find in the mountain range of Scripture, the Mount Everest of God's glory, God's power, is God's Son hanging on a cross in the place of sinners like us. Sinners who spend most of their week completely ignoring Him. Sinners like us who think more about than they do about Jesus. And yet, in his steadfast love, he pursues us. This creator, this one deserving of all our attention and praise and glory, who has been snubbed of the glory, rightfully deserving of him, has set his love on sinners like us all the same. And this love is steadfast, and it is unchanging. It is never giving up. This is what you encounter over and over again in the pages of this book. And when you see it, you see your story. That's me. That's my story. That's my Savior. That's what He did for me. And you praise Him. You bless Him. You lift up your hands, which is number three and number four. The psalmist Says, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. To bless the Lord means to show gratitude and appreciation to Him for who He is and what He has done. Notice that in the midst of David's affliction, He's blessing the Lord. The Bible tells us to take all of our problems to the Lord. In prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, pray. I wonder if you have made it a habit of thanking God for your afflictions. I mean, after all, they are reminders to you of your need for God and of His sufficiency. After all, they are the most effective means of your sanctification and Christ-likeness. I mean, all, we all want an easy life. But the Lord knows that an easy life is a forgetful life. And the Lord is too kind to let us rely on anything other than Him for satisfaction. And so, in the middle of your affliction cornerstone, bless Him. Thank Him for this reminder of your creatureliness and of His sufficiency. Then David says, I lift up my hands. In the Bible, the lifting of hands is the posture of prayer. It's saying, Here I am. I have nothing in my hands. I have nothing to offer. I need you, and I receive from you whatever you give. So, number one, you look to the Lord. Number two, you praise the Lord. Number three, you bless the Lord. And number four, you pray to the Lord. The fifth and sixth thing the psalmist does appears in verse six. He remembers. He meditates on the Lord. I remember you upon my bed. I meditate on you in the watches of the night. This is something that we saw last week. Psalm 46, Pastor Brent preached. We were told there in verse 8 to come behold the works of the Lord. And then in verse 10, to be still and know that I am God. Think about me and rest. I got this. Psalmist says here, I remember you on my bed. This is sanctified pillow talk. There are other kinds of sanctified pillow talk. We'll save those for another time. But this kind of pillow talk this is the Christian on her pillow, her mind occupied not with the worries of her life, not with the responsibilities of her tomorrow, but with the glories and wonders of her Savior. Do you make it a practice to meditate on the Lord? Meditating is a biblical thing to do. Now, there are unbiblical kinds of meditation where you empty your mind, you center in on yourself. That's just a waste of your time. I mean, if if all of my problems can be derived from me thinking about myself too much, then how possibly can I improve my life by thinking more about myself, right? It's a waste of time. Biblical meditation isn't about emptying, it's about filling your mind. Meditating on the things of God. So here's what you do. In your daily reading of Scripture, grab hold of one thing. One thing you read there about the character and nature of your God and lock it into your mind for that day. Maybe write it down. Maybe make a note on your iPhone. Lock it into your mind. Revisit that reality throughout the day. Meditate on the character and nature of God. And the result of the meditation, the psalmist says, appears in verse 5, which is the satisfaction of his soul. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Apparently, King David was on some spiritual version of the keto diet. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My family likes to watch the, the show Alone on Netflix. Have you seen this show? It's a survivalist show, kind of a last person standing sort of show where each person is alone, obviously because of the name of the, the show. And they can see who can last the longest in the wilderness. And something we have learned from this show is one of the most important things to long term survival in the wilderness is fat. Because game animals are very lean animals and they give you protein, but we need fat to survive. Fat enables our body to absorb certain essential vitamins without which we will not survive, we will starve. David's soul is satisfied in the Lord as if he were eating fatty foods, like a rich, creamy cheesecake kind of fatty food. You know that feeling that you get after you've just had like the best meal? Not when you've overindulged and you're scared of bending over because it might come back out. Not that kind of like, oh, feeling. The like satisfied feeling. David's soul is satisfied. Just that sigh. (sighs) I think it's a little bit like the feeling I have after church on Sunday mornings. Spend an hour in change with God's people. Singing God's praise. Hearing God's word. And afterwards... I'm satisfied. Number seven. Sing. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. The satisfied soul sing. What a picture of the Christian life. Happy singing under the shadow of God's wings. It's actually the picture of a hen who gathers her brood under her in danger. When a hen's chicks are in danger, they run to their mama and she lifts up her wings and they tuck under those wings for safety. This is what the Lord does for his people. He covers them with his power, his protection. I can't read this verse without thinking of the words of the Lord Jesus lamenting the city of Jerusalem when he said, Oh, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. The Christian life is one of gathering to the Lord of nestling safety under his, safely under His strong arms. He is our help. He is our refuge. And so this week, when you're feeling uncertain about something, when you're afraid because of something, run to the Lord who will cover you in the shadow of His wings. And grab hold. Just grab hold. Which brings us to the final one. In verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I remember when my children were young, we would take them to the ocean And, you know, when when you're little, the ocean is new and big and loud and scary. And I would take them by their little hands across the sand to the shoreline. And as soon as that happened, they would inevitably let go of daddy's hand. They knew exactly what to do and climb up into daddy's arms. And they would grab hold of me. I'll never forget that feeling. Their tiny little body, their tiny little muscles, holding on as tightly as they can. Not strong enough to hold themselves for long. But you know, that didn't matter. Because my right hand upheld them. No matter if they were weak, from clinging, scared, they were never in danger. Not for a second because they were in my arms. And I would feel their little bodies pressed against my chest, and they were safe. Not because they were strong, but because I was. Cornerstone, it's like that. It's like that. In danger this week, climb into your daddy's arms. Just grab hold. His right hand will uphold you. Through the worst diagnosis, through the worst news, through a wayward teenager, through a broken marriage, through the battle against sin and temptation, grab hold. eight things the psalmist does for his thirsty soul one he looks to the lord two he praises the lord three he blesses the lord four he prays to the lord five he remembers what the lord has done six he meditates on the glories of the lord seven he sings in joy in the lord and eight He clings to the Lord. And when you do this, when you fill your mind and your mouth with the things of God, your soul will be satisfied. And not only that, not only that, He'll take care of what troubles you. This is where we'll end our time together. Verses 9 to 11. Those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouth of liars will be stopped. For King David, it seemed that his enemy was his own son, Absalom. But when you read that book carefully, you see that Absalom was only a symptom of a much bigger problem, and that was David's own sin. David's sins of commission where he did what he shouldn't have done. David's sins of omission where he didn't do the things that he should have done. And in verses 9 to 11, the king reassures himself of the Lord's promise that he will be his deliverer, that God will establish his king. So there he is in the wilderness, and what assurance does he have? He has the same assurance that we do. God has spoken, so it shall be. God had made a promise to David, and God will keep that promise to David. And if anything, we Christians, we have a greater assurance than even David had. Our assurance is the risen Lord Jesus When David fled into the wilderness, it was because his son had usurped his throne. Absalom died hanging from a tree, a spear driven through his heart. Jesus Christ, the greater son of David, also died hanging from a tree with a spear thrust through his heart. Only Jesus' death wasn't because he tried to take the throne from his father. Jesus' death was in place of those who had everyone in this room. The Lord Jesus is the true King of Israel who came into a waterless world, who was cut off from the Father in order that those who trust Him might be reunited to God. And unlike Absalom and unlike David, Jesus Christ rose from the dead to the glory of the Father. He defeated sin and death and he reigns forever seated at the right hand of God the Father. All who turn to him by faith are granted righteousness and given eternal life, given a place in his eternal kingdom, a place where there is no darkness, a place where there is no wilderness, a place where the Bible says, never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be nothing detestable and nothing false. Christ is faithful. Christ is true. The mouth of liars will be stopped. And all that will be left are those who see the Lord's glory and sing the Lord's praise until Christ is all. Let's pray. Father, we confess that while your steadfast love is better than life, our lips have failed to praise you. We have occupied our minds with things of the earth, not with the things of heaven. And we admit, Lord, that we have failed to turn to you in times of crisis and affliction. In our thirst, we've eaten dirt and blamed you for not quenching our thirst. This is a waterless world. We are waterless people. And in your mercy, hear us and draw near to us through Christ and bring us to living waters. Lord, will you enable us this week to meet you in your word, to meditate on you there, to be satisfied in Jesus? You truly are the satisfaction of our souls. Will you forgive us for seeking satisfaction in anything else? Will you show us how Jesus has been our help, how we are safe in the shadow of his wings? Give us grace to run to Him and cling to Him at every moment this week. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, here in Lamentations 3 is an assurance that you have been pardoned. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness.